anniversary of the behemoth. That is not the name of our podcast, Andrew. What's the name of our podcast? I thought for the one year you'd finally get it right. (laughs) It's Armchair Apocrypha. Armchair Apocrypha, that's right. That's the podcast where armchair experts tell possibly true Mm -hmm. stories. Uh, I'm Andrew. I'm Rachel. And uh, we... um, Are celebrating. We are celebrating. We've got beer, we've got wine, we've Mm -hmm. got cheesecake. And we've got a dog. dog. Dog sitting. <laughs> Not our dog, but... Rachel is dog sitting. We it's are... So cute. Going to get a dog some... some One day. Yeah. Soon. Soon. Once we have our house and everything. Yes. Which is looking good. Yes. On track. Everything is on track. Hopefully by the time this, when co- this episode comes out, which is in... Uh, October? October. We should definitely be in the house. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um... I can't believe we've been, we've been doing this for one year. I know. That's <laughs> weird. I just remember you talking about it, and I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever, whatever. And then all of a sudden you're like, all right, well, this is the idea. I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. And then the next time you're like, all right, now we're going to meet and do it. I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> let's do it. And then from there, it's like, it's been consistent. I'm right. happy about that. Well, originally it was going to be me and Mary, and then Mary yeah, that is doing a school now. Um, and... Then I was like, well, I'll just, I'll just meet with somebody else. And you were like, do you want to do it here? And I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and we haven't looked back once. We haven't. <laughs> um, how was your week? It was good. Yeah. I got to start dog sitting on Thursday. Yeah. So I've been hanging out here. We won trivia on Tuesday. We won trivia on Tuesday. We saw Rebel Without a Cause at uh, the Lowell Palace, yep. the old theater, or old the old theater. Yeah, the old theater. That was nice. And then I've just been working all weekend. Oh no. But it's been it was but it's been good though. Good. How about you? Same. I won trivia on Tuesday. You <laughs> so did, I didn't you? <laughs> um, yeah. Just been writing and playing video games. Um, I got gift cards for Amazon that I finally cashed in on a PS4. So I've got a PS4 coming sometime this week. That's exciting. <laughs> I was telling Katie, I was like, once Andrew and I move in together, yeah. maybe I'll start getting back into playing video games because yeah. he has all these video games. <laughs> I have 150 video oh games gosh. on Xbox. I don't have any on PlayStation yet. Yeah, because you're just now getting the PlayStation yeah. 4. Oh, wait. That's so exciting. <laughs> we'll find something that you like, don't worry. Yeah, yeah. Um... Do you want to get into that? Yeah, I'm episode? ready. I'm so excited to tell my story. Oh, yeah. So, but I will wait. I want to hear yours first. Okay, cool. Uh, have you heard of the Night Witches? Probably from a movie, but I don't think it's what you're thinking of. We're Probably talking about not. Uh, the Night Witches were a armed uh, group, like K N I T or K N I G H T. No, N I G H T. Okay, as in the evening. Yeah. Um, they were uh, a group of military aviators, and they were all women. Love it. Now I'm really upset I don't know about it. Uh, this episode mixes one of my favorite topics, which is killing Nazis, with one of my least favorite topics, which is Stalin. Ah, here we go. Mixing of the two. Um, so they were the 588th Night uh, Bomber Regiment in the Soviet Air Forces under Joseph Stalin. Um, they were ordered on October 8th, 1941 to deploy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were one of the most heavily uh, awarded uh, Aviators. aviator regiments. And um, 
the the uh, the name Night Witches actually came from the Nazi soldiers. Um, one of their tactics, one of the Night Witches' tactics, would be to stall their engine as they were coming in over uh, an airfield, mm-hmm. so that the German forces couldn't hear them. Um, so they would stall out in midair, and they would float over. Shut up. They would float over the base, and then they would drop a bomb. So the Germans had no idea that they were coming. And then they said that, uh, well, one of the stories is that the German soldiers said that the planes just floating over the base sounded like broomsticks. Oh. It was just soft. And... That's great. Yeah, like. <laughs> uh, and so uh, they, they called them the Night Witches. Uh, they were also known for a different maneuver, which is really ingenious. Um, three of them would fly over an airbase uh, during the night. Um, and so the people working the spotlights would train their spotlights on the three planes that were coming over in formation. Yeah. And then two of them would break off in opposite directions so that the spotlights would follow <clears throat> them. Gotcha. And then a third one would like secretly come in over the base while the spotlights were... On those two? Uh, on those two. Sneaky, sneaky. <laughs> Um, and it, did I mention that it was an all-female re- regiment? Yes, but you can re-mention it. Okay, cool. So, uh, most of the stories that I do on Armchair Apocrypha, they just focus on one woman. Yeah. But I kind of like this one as, like, an ensemble. Oh, yeah. Um, series in which you have, like, multiple, uh, Russian and Ukrainian, mm-hmm. all of those forces just, uh, um. Coming together. Yeah. To kill Nazis. Yep. Love it. Don't you just. <laughs> um, so the uh, the idea for this um, this aviator unit was uh, the brainchild of a woman named Marina Roskova. Um, in 1938, Marina and two other women set the world record for nonstop direct flight by women uh, when they flew a Tupolev DB2 AMT 37 aircraft named. Rodina, 6,000 kilometers. Rodina. Rodina. Um, they flew from Moscow to Komsomolsk <laughs> on Amur. Sorry if I butchered that, Russian listeners. Um, on the southeastern tip of Siberia. During the flight over Siberia, the aircraft started icing up, and the female air crew could not gain altitude, so they jettisoned um, everything that they could out of the DB-2, uh, but continued to drop. Realizing that they would soon crash, Marina noted their position on a map and then promptly bailed out. The two remaining women eventually landed safely at their destination, and a hunter rescued Marina. All returned to Moscow and were awarded the Hero of the Soviet Union Medal for their record-breaking flight. Um, In early 1941, during the beginnings of the German invasion, Marina Roskova was a major in the Soviet Air Force. Mm -hmm. Uh, She saw an opportunity to lead a campaign to get women into the air to defend their country. Um, Marina was able to convince Soviet leader Joseph Stalin to allow the formation of three regiments of female combat pilots in the summer of 1941. The 586th Women's Fighter Regiment, the 587th Women's Day Bomber Regiment, and the 588th Women's Night Bomber Regiment. Hence the Night Witches. Mm -hmm. Um, The Women's uh, Night Bomber Regiment comprised pilots, mechanics, and other ground staff, every one of them female. That's so cool. (laughs) 
Uh, each regiment required at least 400 personnel. Uh, women, thousands applied, the average uh, age being 22, and most of them wanted to be pilots. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> uh, because it wasn't possible to accommodate all of them, um, only the best were chosen to be pilots. Yeah. The rest made up the ground crews responsible for keeping the planes in the air. Um, Marina Roscova was the logical choice to uh, interview and oversee the training mm-hmm. of female a- aviators for combat duty. Uh, she was nervous about recruiting young women, um, and many of them saw her as a hero. Duh. <laughs> um, according to one story, she asked a, a, a crowd of gathered hopefuls, um, aren't you frightened to go uh, into combat? Aren't you frightened to go to the front? Don't you know that these bad men will, on the other side will be shooting at you? And somebody answered from the crowd, not if I shoot them first. <laughs> Love it. Um, she uh, she was an instructor at the flight school in Ingalls. Um, they studied for six months. Um, after six months of training at Ingalls, Major Roscova posted the regimental assignments. All the women had, of course, wanted to be fighter pilots, and there was dis- bitter disappointment for many who would be flying the less glamorous aircraft, like the PO2 planes. Um, the male commander of the training base also decided that the new women pilots did not look soldierly enough and ordered them to cut their hair. They could either cut it themselves, or the military barber would do it for them. Um, a Russian woman's pride was often uh, her long hair, mm-hmm. usually never cut in her lifetime, bound up in braids, or allowed to swing freely below the, the waist. This order was a severe blow to the woman who had wanted to be pilots, but who had also wanted to retain their femininity. However, all reported the next day, cropped and ready to fly. Of course. <laughs> uh, in their first combat lesson, um, during their first mission, the base commander decided to test their mettle and instructed the fighters sent to escort them to attack them. Nervous and anxious about their first mission, the women mistook their own fighter cover for enemies and panicked, breaking formation and scattering. Many of the women immediately headed back to the base, some soon realizing from radio chatter what had happened. When they all returned to the base, they were embarrassed and humiliated. Uh, Despite the praise for their flying skills, they were determined to do better uh, for the next time. The women on the 588 flew their first official bombing mission, on June 8th, 1942. Squadron consisted of three planes and their target was the headquarters of a German division. Flying through flak and trusting their fighter escorts to dispense with the attacking enemy fighters, the raid was successful and only one plane was lost. Alright, I'll take it. So how, how would that be for like... A the, Netflix series? Yeah, yeah that would be like awesome. the, the half season. Oh finale. yeah, yeah. We'll be um, back in two months. <laughs> <laughs> um... So the German soldiers began calling them the Nachtexen, or Nachtexen, I'm not sure how in German it would be pronounced. So night witches? The night witches. Um, Like all night bomber regiments, they usually practiced harassment night bombing, which consisted of flying to enemy encampments, airfields, and other enemy targets during the night, and bombing them. Harassment night bombing was very difficult to do, considering the low performance of the PO2 biplanes uh, that they flew, and how vulnerable that made them to enemy night fighters. But the night witches learned their trade very quickly and very well. P2 
the PO2 was a very slow aircraft, but it was also more maneuverable than the um, German fighter um, planes. When the enemy aircraft, usually a German BF-109, attempted to intercept, the Russian plane could turn violently and nimbly at much less than the faster monoplane's minimum speed, requiring that the attacking aircraft make a wide circle to come in for another pass. The same evasive tactic was effective time after time. Many of the PO2 pilots got to the nearly ground levels, some even flying low enough to hide behind the hedgerows. What? (laughs) Yep. I can do that. (laughs) Could you, though? Sure. (laughs) Give me a plane, I'll show you. (laughs) I'm not going to do that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) The attacking fighter could only try again and again until either the Russian escaped or the enemy gave up and left the PO2 alone. Um, I already mentioned this, but their two most successful tactics were to um, glide in over the enemy base, shut their engines off, just glide down over their target. Oh, and yeah, drop yeah, their bombs. and that's why you could, it sounded like a broom. Yep. Um, this was a really dangerous maneuver because, you know, bombs falling and not having your engines, and most of the planes didn't have uh, parachutes equipped why? until 1944. That wasn't, like, a thing? I'm guessing it either wasn't a thing, or they just weren't supplied with them. <laughs> I feel like uh, every pilot needs a parachute. Yeah. And they were doing this for three years before they, like, required them in their planes, so... Jeez. Um, the Germans at Stalingrad developed what uh, the Russians called a flak circus. They would bring out anti-aircraft guns that had been hidden during the day and lay them in concentric circles around possible targets. Gotcha. Um, and do it, they would do the same with the searchlights, placing the searchlights mm-hmm. in concentric circles. Uh, when the PO2s crossed the perimeter in pairs um, in a straight line flight path, the spotlights would focus on the two um, in front. The two pilots would then shoot off in opposite directions, leaving the third one to come in. Under, um, yeah. Under stealth, hidden. hidden um, uh, away from the flat cannons, preferably. Gotcha. And then drop their payloads. Um, let's see. The 588th were employed in intense fighting in the Kuban area of southern Russia. They flew their missions in resistance to reputedly the finest fighter group of the German Luftwaffe, JG-54. This fighter group included some of the world's highest-ranking fighter aces in history, including Eric Hartman. All three of the regiments suffered terrible losses, but the women were not deterred. Even after being shot down or wounded, the pilots returned as soon as possible, ready to fly again. Um, As the war took a toll on the numbers of pilots within the group, the few men transferred into the uh, fighter and fighter-bomber regiments, but the 588th remained exclusively female. That's right! On most occasions, the poor bombing and navigational devices of the night wishes prevented them from dealing any heavy, any heavy damage to the enemy. But on the night of uh, October 25th, 1942, a bomb strike set ablaze a fuel depot at the enemy airfield of Armavir. The fire spread, and six Ju-88 night fighters and He-11 bombers and uh, and He-111 bombers of KG-51 were destroyed. Only one aircraft escaped the damage. This led to a quick withdrawal of KG-51 to the Kerch Peninsula. On January 6, 1943, the 588th received the acknowledgement of its members 
meritorious service and was, was awarded the new title of 46th Taman Guards Night Bomber Aviation Regiment. Soviet statistics show this unit to have flown about 23,672 sorties, and it's credited with dropping 3,000 tons of bombs. Shit! Uh, 23 airwomen of this regiment were awarded the Gold Star of the Hero of the Soviet Union, and it was the most highly decorated regiment in the entire Soviet Air Force. Each pilot had flown at least 1,000 missions. Wow! Yep. Um, you'll like this. Do tell. Let's see if I can find it. In 2017, Big Finish Productions, an audio drama company who produced official Doctor Who plays, ah! released The Night Witches, a historical adventure written by Rowan Moore and featuring the second Doctor. Really? Yep. <gasps> oh, I need to see this. <laughs> Gotta look it up. Gotta Google it. So those were the uh, Noctexen Noct or the uh, Night Witches. Love it. Mm -hmm. And I think that would be like five seasons in a movie. Oh, easily. Yeah. Easily. Cheers to that one, Andrew. Hold on, I gotta grab my beer. Ting. As I hit it with my <laughs> teeth. <clears throat> so what do you have for us today? I, I told you earlier this week, I don't like to pick favorites of one of them, but this is by far one of my favorites. Yeah. It might be a little lengthy, but she's worth it. Have you ever heard of one of the badass women people named Mary Fields? Mary Fields. It's a very common name, so you may have, but you may not have heard I'm not sure. of this one. Okay, so I'm going to talk about this woman and her amazing life okay. and how so much happened. <clears throat> her nickname was Stagecoach Stage Coach Mary Fields, or Stagecoach. Stagecoach Mary. Stagecoach Mary, yeah. Okay. Um... Here's just a nice little tidbit about her. Up until her death, um, in the Old West, mm -hmm. Mary Field, it is said that Stagecoach Mary had a standing bet at her local saloon. Five bucks and a glass of whiskey said she could knock out any cowboy in Montana with a single punch. <laughs> um, it is said after the third or fourth dumb person who tried to take her up on it, nobody ever had the balls to do it again. Nice. <laughs> All right, so there's a little, that's a little teaser for you. <laughs> but now we're going to rewind and go all the way back to the beginning. Okay. Um, best guess is that Mary was born on or around 1832. We know that she spent the first 30 years of her life as a slave in Hickman County, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. She was an African-American woman. And that she spent some time working on a Mississippi steamboat. Um... So, yeah, she was a slave, and when she was around 30 is when the Civil War ended, and slavery was, quote-unquote, outlawed. Right. Um, quote-unquote. Yes. Sidebar, just so you have an idea, yes, you know that she's black, but here's a little more physical characteristics about her. She was six feet tall and apparently made of pure muscle. Oh, yeah. She was very strong and intimidating to anyone who came near her, and I'll have to show you a picture of her, because she looks very intimidating. Yeah. Um... And she looks tall, not that she's standing next to anyone. Actually, in one she is, and I'll show you that one, too. Um, so, now you have a good idea of kind of what she looks like. Anyways, after slavery is outlaw, she then worked in the home of this judge and his wife. But when the judge's wife died in 1883, she took the family's five children to their aunt, 
a um, nun uh, sister, Mother Mary Amadeus. What's her name? Wow. That is a health name. Mother Superior of the Ursuline Convent in Toledo, Ohio. Okay. Um, not long after the children arrived there, um, the nun was sent to the Montana Territory, it wasn't a state yet, mm-hmm. to establish a school for Native American girls. Um, one article said it was the Blackfoot tribe uh, in a place that was west of a place called Cascade, Montana, which I think is a city that still exists there. I'm not 100% sure. I meant to look that up. Um, so where is Mary in all this? Well... Uh, mother, they keep on this one article where I got most of the uh, information. They keep calling her mother instead of sister, so I think she's higher up than a sister. But I'm not she's really superior, yeah. uh, familiar with Catholicism. She, so. She's like the um, top dog. The top dog. Okay, Mother Amadeus got sick with pneumonia not long after she got to Montana, so Mary jumped up, <laughs> jumped on a coach, and headed out there to help her. Um, she took a job working for the Ursuline campus in Cascade. Yeah. Um, where she made nine bucks a week for doing things like chopping wood, digging holes, and building a schoolhouse and a chapel with little more than her bare hands, a pocket full of nails, and a carpenter's level. Talk about it, yeah. Um, Nine bucks a week. (laughs) Nine bucks a week. Yeah. Here's where you just get to learn how awesome she is. When she wasn't tending the chickens... Maintaining the convent's garden or swearing and headbutting people unconscious <laughs> for even the slightest offenses. Um, one nun famously remarked, may God help anyone who walks on the lawn after Mary has cut it. <laughs> <laughs> the now 52-year-old Mary made a weekly 120-mile supply runs out to Helena to pick up food and medical gear for the convent. Right. Um, now, running a stagecoach a couple hundred miles by herself in the Old West... It's not a fucking picnic. Um, it was a lawless land with threats everywhere from people, anima- animals, and the elements. Um, on more than one occasion... Have you ever been to Montana? Yeah. I've not. Well, I've driven through it. I've never, like, okay. stayed there. Um, on more than one occasion, thick snow drifts blocked off Mary's route, piling up so high the horses couldn't move through it. Yeah. And since there was no shelter anywhere from Wells, she would survive the night not by taking shelter... But by hopping out of the cart and pacing back and forth on foot next to the stagecoach, an effort to keep warm. Why? <laughs> so she wouldn't die of frostbite. Just take shelter. No, that she couldn't get yes. anywhere. <laughs> um, one of the more famous tales uh-huh. of stagecoach, stagecoach Mary, um, came one evening when she was going through the countryside on one of her runs to deliver food and medicine to the convent. When suddenly, out of nowhere, a pack of wolves charge in. This is where, like it's a motherfucking show. <laughs> where a pack of wolves charge in and attacked her horses, freaking them out, ripping them up, and flipping the entire cart on its side. Damn. Yeah, this makes me think of the scene in uh, Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Kind of. Um, Mary jumped up, used the overturned cart as cover to keep her from being um, attacked by the wolves. Um and then, with only a small lamp as her light source, she fought off several attacks from this pack uh, throughout the night, first by blasting them with a shotgun at close range, and then switching to her revolver when she ran out of uh, bullets in her other one. Wow. Yeah. The next morning, she muscled the cart back upright, got everything back in its place, tracked down some of the horses, made the rest of the trip back, and brought everything to the con- convent intact, except 
for a keg of molasses that had cracked during the battle, which the fucking bishop made her pay for out of pocket. I'm going to take a drink no. for that. <laughs> Why? Mm-hmm. It's a 50-year-old, two-year-old lady. I know. Um, um, Alejandro G. Inarutu, yeah. who did The Revenant, I'm going to need you personally to direct this movie. This one? Yeah. Oh, yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We haven't even gotten to like, the best parts yet. <laughs> so, um, so, now we know that she goes off on these long things, does all this building, works around the grounds. So when she wasn't doing that, you could find her in the saloons of Cascade, drinking men under the table and chomping on homemade cigars so potent that hardly any gunslinger in town had a stomach to handle them. <laughs> I'm basically, t- I'm like reading this article verbatim because I yeah. love the way they wrote it. Uh, oops. Oh no. <clears throat> We're good. So, so this is a part that I'm going to read. Not that I haven't read exactly verbatim from this article, but this is what they said. I just loved how they worded it. Yeah. I'm just going to go for it word by word. Um, you'd think maybe some folks would have tried to fuck with her, considering that she that she was, you know, a black woman in society that at the time wasn't particularly, particularly well-known for its attitudes towards racial and gender equality. But stagecoach stage Mary wasn't the sort a chick that was going to let people tell her what the fuck she was going to do or how she was going to do it. At a time when non-prostitute women weren't allowed to drink at saloons, she received special permission from the mayor to be served at any bar in the city anytime she wanted for life. Damn. Yeah. And then anytime someone didn't mess with her, she put them in their place. Uh, like one time, uh, a guy called... They didn't, I don't think they gave a specific... Or if they did, I cut it out because I'm not going to say it called her rude name outside of the saloon. So she looked at for a second, said nothing, then grabbed a rock out of the street and clubbed him in the skull with it repeatedly until other cowboys around finally restrained her. Um, Mary gained such a reputation for beating the shit out of uppity gunslingers uh, that didn't show her the proper respect that she <laughs> fucking deserved. Um, right. That the Great Falls Examiner newspaper once cited this hard-drinking lady as having broken more no, mo, has having broken more no, noses than any other person in Montana. Wow. And nobody has ever debated that claim. We <laughs> <laughs> need Guinness up in there. Yeah. Um so this goes on for a while, living her life to her fullest, if I might say. And um then apparently one day the convent handyman, um, another guy who worked on the grounds, worked in the gardens and mm. did whatever got really upset when he found out that Mary actually made more money than him. So he bitched about it and then talking about how a black woman shouldn't make more money than him because, you know, racism. Right. Um, when Mary heard what he was saying, she, she cracked her knuckles, rolled up her sleeves, and then pulled out her thirty-eight. she kept under her apron at all times because that's what ladies do, stormed out behind the nunnery, challenged the handyman to a duel, and in the ensuing close quarter gun battle, she literally popped a cap in his ass, <laughs> shooting him in the butt while emerging unscathed herself. Nice. <laughs> okay. Unfortunately, this did get her fired, <laughs> shooting the guy in a convent. <laughs> I, I, I can... That's yeah. Fair, yeah. Um, it does say that she opened two <laughs> restaurants in Cascade, but they both failed... Um, one, it says maybe because she may have given out too many free meals to needy people. I don't know if this is true or not. Mm. Hashtag armchair apocrypha. Right. Um, but, and, so in 1895, uh, 
she did what any six-year-old lady would do. She applied for a job with the United States Postal Service delivering mail throughout the Montana Territory. For her job interview, she and a dozen other Old West cowboys, half her age, were asked to hitch a team of six horses to a, to a stagecoach stage stage as quickly as possible. Sixty-year-old Mary blew them all away, hitching the horses and then having time left over to run to the... Well, the joke is having time to run to the saloon, grab a shot, come back and smoke a cigar <laughs> while laughing at the other guys. <laughs> she became the second woman and the first black person of any gender to work for the United States Postal Service. Wow. Did you know that? I did not know that. Now you do, yeah. So, for the next six years, 62, 60 fucking six, mm-hmm. um... And this is in the 18, late 1800s. Um, she rode a stagecoach packed with money and expensive parcels through the Montana territories, delivering mail anywhere, anytime, through any terrain and weather and all manner of danger. Braving blizzards, heat waves, driving rain, and screaming winds. She never missed a fucking day of work, never failed to deliver a single letter, and was never late once. And... <laughs> What's that? post office saying not not a sleet nor snow nor dead of night maybe i don't know um we're talking about this is the old west where she did this um if the snow the thing is if the snow got so high that the horses couldn't keep going which actually was fairly common in places with sub-zero wind chills mary would tie them to a tree throw a home mailbag over her shoulder and fucking walk waist deep through snow and deliver a letter to some random person on the farm in the middle of nowhere fucking Montana. When the weather wasn't completely frigid, they said she had to worry about outlaws and Native American attacks, although she does mention that the latter wasn't very common. For most Sioux, she was the first black person they'd ever seen, and since they didn't know what the deal was, they usually just left her alone. <laughs> <laughs> if, and, this, and then I started thinking, oh my gosh, how yeah. many other black people does she know? Right. None, maybe. Out in Montana, right after slavery, maybe a few, but it, as far as I know, they all started farms and, like, didn't live in cities. Well, she I don't a, know if any were accepted into nunneries. I don't know if any of them would have been nuns. If she was working near a railroad, she probably would have seen people, like, coming through. But... I don't know if she was, though. Yeah. yeah. Um, And then, yeah, sorry, thinking about that, you're right. Like, the, the percentage would be very small. The percentage would be very small. Um... Okay, so if anyone got too a little too close for comfort, she of course carried her trusty ten k ten gauge shotgun that, according to her personal experience, was capable of cutting a man in half at closer range. A ten, ga- a ten gauge, yeah, yeah. I would believe that. I don't know guns, but I believe <laughs> you, and I believe her. <laughs> um, so it was doing this job where Mary got her nickname because anytime you need something delivered on time, you could rely on Mary. Nice. Uh, so, stagecoach Mary retired in 1901 from the Postal Service. She's now 66 years old. Do you think she just sat back and relaxed for the rest of her days? No. Hell no! <laughs> she opened a laundry service in Cascade, because <laughs> that's what you do when you're 66. Sure. So, time for another badass story from her. She runs a laundromat. Um, one time, Mary, where would you find Mary if she's not at the laundromat? At the bar. At the saloon, Yeah. She, one time, Mary was at the saloon playing poker and drinking whiskey when suddenly she heard a voice um, outside the saloon that caught her attention. 
it was some guy who had gotten his laundry done but hadn't paid his bill. So that oh no, she's seventy two year old seventy two years old at this time. Seventy two year old Mary calmly excused herself from the car table, walked outside, grabbed the man by his shoulder, spun him around and completely flattened him with one punch. She leaned over the guy's crumpled body in the middle of the street and calmly told him the pleasure she'd just derived from busting his face <laughs> with her fist and was far more enjoyment than she'd ever get from two butts he owed her, so they'd call it even. Nice. <laughs> she may have had an anger problem. <laughs> I, I, can, uh, I can see a, a little bit of a temper there. Yeah. Or it could just be 30 years of slavery and she's tired of the shit. <laughs> yeah, that's also fair. And this is really cute, though. <laughs> so, when Mary wasn't cleaning clothes, she babysat all the kids in town whenever the parents needed to get away. I didn't look up how populated the town was, but yeah. I'm assuming it wasn't that populated. Um, she babysat all the kids in town whenever the parents needed to get away. Um, she became friends with, well, it says became friends with acting legend Gary Cooper. He was really young when they met, and yeah. he remembers her fondly. Nice. Um, she got free food and booze anywhere she went and went to every single home game Home game the Cascade baseball team ever played. She liked their number one fan. According to local sources, she would give flowers from her garden to any player who hit a home run and ran um, and uh, had some fury and fire and brimstone profanity-laced horribleness <laughs> on any umpire who made bullshit calls on them. As you do. Despite her gruff exterior, Mary was also kind-hearted and so beloved by the town of Cascade that when her home burned down in the fire of 1912, everyone in town got together and built her a new one. Oh. Isn't that, like, so, that's yeah. so sweet? Yeah. So you can tell, like, she literally owns the town without <laughs> owning the town. After a life that was far more exciting than anything most people will probably experience, stagecoach Mary finally died, of course, of liver failure oh. in 1914. She lived to be 82 years old. Damn. Um, no small feat. I love this how they worded it. No small feat considering she fought wolves, trudged through freezing rain, drank hard, brawled harder, revolted against every cultural stereotype the planet had to offer, and routinely punched out cowboys half her age. Mm-hmm. I just love how they say that. Um, and then apparently Gary Cooper later in life was quoted saying she was one of the freest souls to ever draw a breath or a 38. <laughs> see what you did there yeah (laughs) thanks gary cooper but i just think she's one of the most badass people i've ever read about in my entire life yeah um inari too i need you to make that movie it was i i just i'm just so in awe of her so this is the one she's pretty famous for that's the one that shows up yeah she just looks like you don't want to mess with her And then there was one with her with the... Ba- oh, this is her with the Cascade Montana baseball team. Okay. And that's all them, and that's her right there. And you can tell that she's just as tall as them. Yeah. Six feet tall. She's taller than some of them. Yeah, she is taller than half of them. <laughs> but yeah. Nice. I really loved <laughs> her story a lot. So those are your uh, badasses of the week? Literally. Yep. I mean... Can you imagine what her life would have been like? Oh, I'll just trudge through this snow. <laughs> God. Just uh, pace around the wagon to get just, warm. Yeah. Also, like, just the respect that she commanded in this town. Yeah. And all this stuff. And, I don't know. All the shit she had to go through. Unfortunately, they... The sad... They, well, it's not super sad. 
I think the reason we know so much about her is the town admired her so much they wrote about her and when like she talked they listened and so her stories were able to get passed down they might be slightly exaggerated I don't give a fuck it just shows how badass she is like for you to understand um but I also don't think that they're too far stretched they're none of them seem out of the realm of possibility um and it seems like it came from so many sources that it was pretty common but I love the idea that um to this day she's broken more noses than anyone else has in Montana and nobody debates it um so that's a 12 gauge? Oh, shit. So imagine like an inch smaller than that? Yes, that would... That mm-hmm. would cut a man in half. That would cut a man in half. She is right. Yep. Um, but yeah, I wish we knew more about the first 30 years, but unfortunately, since she was in Tennessee and no one gave a shit about slaves back then, there's probably nothing. And maybe she probably didn't talk about it. Right. I'm not really sure. It was really, I guess, wherever she was, I'm trying to remember... They kind of let her go, and then she found a job with a judge, yeah. being like a a maid or something of some sort. So, but yeah, that's uh, Mary Fields for you. Nice. I'll cheers to that. Hell yeah! Here we go. Ting. A little nicer. <laughs> that was a good one year one, right? That was a good one year one. Um, listeners, thank you so much for sticking around with us for a year. Um, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know what this is. It, looks it might like be a for a student project. Maybe, yeah. Um, I want to say thank you. I want to pull up the list before I say thank you. Okay. Get your list together. <laughs> thank you to the more than 1,100 people who have listened to us. Um, wow. That's amazing. Um, to our listeners in the United States, France, Japan, United Kingdom, Canada, India, Singapore, Germany, Italy, New Zealand, Austria, the Netherlands, Ireland, Australia, Taiwan, Denmark, Hong Kong, Russian Federation, Portugal, Norway, Spain, Morocco, Romania, Mexico, Latvia, and Uganda. Thank you all. We are so happy um, <laughs> to have you all. Um, and I hope that you'll you'll stick around with us for the next year. Yeah. Um, as always, uh, you can find us online at uh, absintheactivismarts.wordpress.com, um, on Facebook at absintheactivismarts, um, on Twitter at acts absinthe act art um, on patreon and absinthe activism arts um, all the activism activism absinthe, absinthe, absinthe activism absinthe. arts <laughs> um, yeah I speak good <laughs> we know all they the could best clearly words. tell the last 20 minutes <laughs> stagecoach we know Stage all the coach. best words <laughs> yes um, thank you all so much uh, we love you and we hope that you'll stick around with us mm-hmm until next week, listeners.